Commutify presents Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Each week, we explore the challenging issues transportation demand management professionals face on their journey to transition commuters from driving alone to more sustainable, shared and active commuting habits. Be sure to subscribe to hear next week's episode and check out our exclusive commuter playlists on Spotify. This is Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Hey everyone and welcome aboard to this week's episode of Between the Lines. Today we have a really, really interesting uh, topic to discuss. In fact, just earlier today I was talking with colleagues uh, at Commutify who had found this story separate from myself finding this story and multiple people have been like, oh, this is such an interesting idea. Um, so it was really great timing and we're really excited to have Quinn Wallace on today. Quinn, thanks for being on. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. And I'll give a little background to who you are. Quinn is a transportation planner at the City of Oakland Department of Transportation's Mobility Management Team, so also known as OakDOT. Uh, she leads transportation demand management or TDM efforts uh, and the demand responsive parking program there. Uh, she also coordinates their internship programs and supports the department's racial equity team. And prior to joining the city of Oakland, she worked as a consultant in the Bay Area and received her master's of planning from the University of, of Southern California in Los Angeles. So a wealth of knowledge. And today we're really excited to talk about a honestly really interesting pilot that you've been running um, at OakDOT called the Universal Basic Mobility uh, Program and why this idea of universal basic mobility will help save the planet. So Quinn, let's get started. This is kind of a new topic. It was new to me when I saw it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't heard of it before. What is universal basic mobility? The term came out of the um, shared mobility space, I believe. Here at OAKDOT, we're defining it as a system of policies, partnerships, programs, and support services that would ensure an equitable level of mobility for all members of the community, especially those who have been and continue to be um, denied such a right. Cool. Okay. That, that makes sense. So this is about supporting uh, all individuals and giving them that kind of ability to use, to, to have, you know, an effective mobility system and use an effective mobility system. So can you tell me, let's, you know, I think it's, it's probably best to just jump into your pilot because I think our listeners are probably really interested in hearing how it's gone um, for you. So can you tell us a little bit more um, about the universal basic mobility pilot, maybe starting with how someone qualified to participate in it? Absolutely. So our universal basic mobility pilot um, launched in 2021, we have about 500 program participants who were randomly selected to receive um, $300 for public transit and shared mobility. Uh, the program, the pilot program was originally closely connected to um, our newly opened BRT line called AC Transit Tempo. Um, and we actually expanded to um, include all of the East Oakland flatlands in our project area in response to COVID challenges. Um, the pilot is funded by a grant from our um, local county transportation commission, and um, we had about two hundred forty-three thousand um, dollars, of which one hundred fifty thousand dollars were um, direct subsidies to to our program participants. And 
to qualify for the program, um, anybody who lives or works in East Oakland was able to qualify. Um, they, we asked them to take a survey and uh, in which we asked about you know, how folks travel and also some select demographic indicators. And uh, we actually received a thousand applications um, wow. in our initial survey. Unfortunately, we only had funds to randomly select 500, um, but I think that goes to show that there's um, a lot of demand and excitement um, about this kind of project. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Giving people money to use transit uh, is great. I mean, yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, a thousand people though, to for this first time, this is the first year you're running the pilot. Um, and one of the first that I've heard of, at least kind of nationwide. So it's, it's probably not something most people will be familiar with. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about how you marketed this program to potential, um, participants. Definitely. Yes. We, um, so since we launched, launched during the pandemic, uh, we used a variety of outreach methods that were in our toolbox, so to speak. So. We sent out mailers to all addresses near uh, the newly opened BRT line. Uh, we also flyered at, at bus stops yeah. as riders were getting on and off transit. We um, stuck a program flyer in their hand and um, invited them to apply for the survey and just like a quick snippet about what the program was about. And uh, we tabled at libraries throughout East Oakland um, and we really couldn't have um, marketed this program without the help of many community organizations. There were a lot of community orgs that helped us get the word out and make the program better at kind of every stage. We worked with um, a couple of local CBOs and consulted with them during program design. And um, we actually got to ride with two local high school bike clubs um, and pass out some um, prepaid cards to some of their students. And um, there were just countless CBOs that helped us Get the word out by you know putting a blurb about the universal basic mobility pilot in their newsletter or um, just got the word out through their networks can you quickly define cbo for everyone just in case they haven't heard that term yes definitely cbo is a community-based organization like a nonprofit um, or uh, just a local formal or informal um, community org that's working in the community cool i mean and that sounds great i obviously worked i mean you got a thousand people to to take that initial survey uh twice as many as you could actually have in the pilot which is i mean that's really great uh hopefully one day we can get all thousand of them um maybe this I, but let's see we let's see if this actually worked well i'm going to get to that question uh in a second but first you mentioned that you were giving people uh up to 300 dollars. i think it was um, there was a mention of kind of a prepaid card. Can you just talk a little bit more, maybe for those people who are sitting at their, you know, similar position to you in their own city and saying, wait, this is a really good idea. How does it actually work? Like, how do you actually get this money to people? Um, where can that money be used? Like, what is, how does the system work? That's such an important question. I really appreciate you asking it. And it was, you know, one of the um, the challenges for for me and for our team in designing and figuring out this program. So um, we're excited to get the word out about how we use the prepaid cards and um, and and how they work. So these prepaid debit cards have um, restrictions so that the funds on them can only be used at certain types of um, for certain types of purchases or even with specific um, kind of sellers. So, 
we were able to restrict the cards by merchant category code. Um, and one of our category codes, for example, was all public transportation. Um, so that would include Clipper card, which is our you know, integrated transit fare um, provider in the Bay Area, um, as well as AC Transit, our bus operator, BART, uh, that runs our subways and, and so on. Um, we were also able to restrict down to the merchant ID level, which was actually quite important since we um, had shared mobility as part of our program. So a lot of e-scooter operators didn't necessarily start out as e-scooter operators. For example, um, one of our operators in Oakland um, had a merchant category code of like motorcycle shops. And so that, that just wasn't gonna work for our program. So we had to go down to the specific merchant ID level so that it could only be used with those specific um, shared mobility providers as well as just general public transportation. So um, the cards are set up to be um, as anonymous as possible. So we didn't actually collect any names um, of our program participants. We did mail out the cards to uh, individual participants' uh, addresses in East Oakland. And when they got the card, it had $150 on there initially. Um, we then loaded the card remotely with their second $150 after they took the second survey saying how they did, uh, how their travel did or didn't change as a result of the program. We asked if they had any issues with the card and, and so on. And the cards um, themselves expire a year after they've been issued. So even though on paper, our program has formally ended, um, our grant has expired, but um, our program participants are able to keep using the funds until um, they don't have any left. That's great. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I, I like the idea of opening it up. You mentioned like it was in line with the opening of a new bus rapid transit or BRT line, but you could use this anywhere. So it wasn't, you know, that might not be the best choice for everyone, depending on where they're going and, and where they live. So that makes a lot of sense to open this up to uh, not just public transit, but also shared mobility. I think that's that's a really cool idea. Uh, and those prepaid cards make a make a lot of sense. I mean, I am a big fan of prepaid cards. Communify has kind of a, a similar one ourselves, and we're like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, I, I love the idea. So, okay. So you mentioned that the grant's over, the project on paper is done, but it's still kind of going on as people are finishing up using those cards. What, are the, what key insights have you gained? What should people know about this? Maybe good, maybe some bad. Um, what, if someone else is trying to do a similar program, what should they take from yours? I think there's a lot to be taken um, from our, our program in a lot of different ways. Um, we've had a lot of project wins in the sense that we've, uh, we've met our project goal, which was um, increasing walking, biking, transit and shared mobility use in East Oakland while reducing single occupancy vehicle car trips. So um, about 25% of our program participants um, at our initial evaluation reported driving less as a result of the program. Wow. Yeah, um, about 40% generally changed change the way that they traveled as a result of the program. And uh, we saw a self-reported increase in transit trips for both commute and for non-commute trips. Um, and um, I should say that we had kind of two buckets of data to evaluate um, in our program evaluation. We have the self-reported survey data from the initial intake uh, survey, as well as the mid-program survey before folks got that second $150. And then we also have our other bucket of data 
um, from kind of behind the scenes of the prepaid cards that shows generally X percent of um, all funds across all cards were spent on Clipper card, um, just general public transit fares or AC transit and scooters and, and so on. Um, and one of the real insights that I think um, we we're able to see from the prepaid cards is that uh, the transactions really ranged from a few cents, like a, a dollar or so for scooter trips to $150 for, you know, loading up a person's clipper card just all in one go. So yeah, I think we've seen a lot of um, exciting outcomes in that sense. And we've also had some real lessons learned as well. Um, our biggest one is definitely that distribution method really matters for these funds. Um, we chose to mail out all of our prepaid cards to individuals um, addresses and Unfortunately, there were a lot of issues with um, getting those cards to individuals through the mail. Um, just kind of everything that you can think of, of um, cards being like lost or stolen out of mailboxes, um, just never reaching the participant, address line twos being occasionally left off, um, all of that happened. So uh, we saw a lower activation rate initially than expected, likely due to those cards not being received or um, to folks not necessarily knowing what it was when they got it in the mail but we've since pivoted to providing an in-person replacement pickup card option. Um, we've also done um, email, text, and call campaigns to boost our activation rates and make sure that everybody knows how to use those cards and get knows how to get their second $150 and, and so on. Wow. Uh, yeah, so first of all, congrats. This seems incredibly successful. Uh, I mean, just the numbers you mentioned are impressive. I mean, that like, for any program, that's impressive. So this is, this is really good to see. Uh, and I like that. I like that learning too. You know, the mail seems that that would seem logical, but uh, I suppose it's, you know, so you're going to run into something with every pro with every program. So uh, it's good to hear that you were able to pivot quickly and get that activation um, up in the end. Uh, so one of the things I like, and we were talking about this before we were started recording is that one of the benefits of this to me seems like that this universal basic mobility can help both empower people to try new modes, um, something they haven't potentially tried before. Like you mentioned, um, several people, you know, increasing their public transit rate on, on commuting and non-commuting trips um, or just using their car less, but also it rewards and hopefully retains existing transit riders. You don't want to just give this money to someone who's never used transit before and say, go use transit. And people who are using transit are saying, wait a second, what about me? I've been doing the right thing for 20 years. I should be rewarded. So is that true? Like that's the intuition I have. Is that a true, a, a good intuition? And did you see that work? Did people who use transit continue to use transit or potentially use it more? And people who didn't use transit start using it or shared mobility, you know, wherever it was. Yeah, definitely. I would say that your intuition is spot on there. And this was part, this was um, really important to us, especially at the outset of this pilot. Um, we were really grappling with how to meet a, our transportation demand management goals and the TDM like flavor of this pilot um, while um, meeting our equity goals as a department. And, um, keeping those at the forefront of our work. So I think that, you know, at each kind of stage of our, our pilot program, um, we wanted to help empower people to try new modes as well as 
reward those who were already doing the right thing and taking sustainable modes already. So, um, you know, at the beginning to select our program participants, um, we have our 500 program participants are a demographically representative sample of East Oakland. So we um, selected that random representative sample according to household income and identified race that we asked about in the initial survey. And we didn't even ask about, um, you know, car ownership in that initial survey um, because we knew that not all of our not all of our residents in this area have access to a car or have or own a car themselves. And so we know that we're going to have to compromise a little bit on that goal um, by keeping a, a focus on equity. So I think as the program went along, um, it really became about reducing financial barriers to accessing sustainable transportation and um, to reward those who were already helping us you know, work toward our climate goals and work toward our sustainable transportation goals and um, and have kind of a balance there. What we know about lower income households generally um, is that they spend more on their transportation costs than higher income households. What we know about our program participants is over half of our program participants uh, reported that they sometimes cannot afford their preferred transportation mode. Um, and that transit um, is a primary mode of mobility for our program participants. So I think it's, um, you know, a lot of TDM programs really take the approach of um, targeting car owners, people who are commuting by car, um, for example, and not necessarily looking at like the whole picture of mobility in an area. And that's really something that we tried to do um, with this program. And when it comes to you know helping people figure out how to ride bike share and scooters for the first time, um, a lot of that um, kind of education and connections were made in person when we were tabling and talking about the program for the first time. Um, you know, asking when because when we were out there and saying that okay, this this three hundred dollars is going to be for transit and shared mobility. Then it's this question of have you ridden a scooter before? Do you know where your closest bike share station is? Um, and more of a question about how people travel and get around. Um, so um, yeah, in addition to um, what we've provided to our program participants, we're also advertising all of our means-based discount transportation programs in one spot um, for the first time. Um, and that's available for everybody on our website. That's great. And and yeah, we've talked about, you know, accessibility and equity in, in previous episodes as well. And, I, like you mentioned, transit is a much higher proportion of a lower income individual's expenses than someone who's making more money. Um, so it's great that this type of program has now been piloted and hopefully not only in Oakland, but other places around the country, we can start to see maybe this idea take off. Um, and, and I really like the idea that you mentioned, you've, you've mentioned kind of the, the data side, the data-driven approach to this, where let's see where people are to start and then let's see where people are to end. I wonder if, uh, are, are you going to kind of collect data again? Are you going to be able to collect data again in a year or two years and see if this mode shift sticks with it even after you no longer give people kind of that initial incentive? We're certainly considering it. And um We'd like to be able to do so. Uh, we have, you know, 
emails and and uh, phone numbers for our program participants. So it's it's not necessarily that wouldn't be the barrier per se. Um, I think it's more of a challenge of capacity and also making sure that um, we're asking those asking those questions while um, you know being conscientious that previously when we asked those kinds of questions we gave our program participants money. So if we're going to ask those questions, um, like what's the benefit for our program participants in the long run? Yeah, that makes sense. It will be really interesting. Um, obviously I'm going to be following this closely, uh, and see where this goes. Hopefully this, this program keeps growing. I, I really am uh, impressed by what, what it's already been done and excited to see where it goes. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, because you brought this up as well before we were talking, uh, before we started recording, and I thought it was really interesting. So I'm going to kind of quote you and then ask you to tell us what this means. So you talked about the idea of targeted universalism, and you said that applying targeted universalism to mobility can help practitioners prioritize the greatest barriers to transportation while acknowledging and working towards solutions on other challenges. I thought that was really well said. Can you just explain that a bit to folks? What do you mean by this? What's targeted universalism? What is this idea? Um, and why does you know it tie into this idea of universal basic mobility? Definitely, yeah. Oh man, I think that quote <laughs> makes me sound a lot more insightful than I maybe am. So I'll do my best. No, no, you <laughs> came up with it. So obviously it's as insightful as you are. <laughs> well, um, so our understanding of targeted universalism is that um, it's about setting a universal goal and meeting diverse needs in order to achieve that goal. So the idea is that everybody can kind of buy into this goal because it's beneficial to everyone. So a universal goal um, that could apply for this program might be an individual, a, an Oaklander can go anywhere by any sustainable mode anytime they want you know, just no barriers, no problems. Um, and everybody can get everywhere by transit, by scooters, by bike share, and, and so on. So the, I think where the real kicker comes in is how you get to achieving that goal. So um, you have, you're going to have some people who are going to be closer to achieving that goal. Um, right now than other people. So the idea is to focus on um, the people who kind of need the most um, like help or support in getting to that goal. And it's often, it, it, it might not always be who you think it is um, while continuing to acknowledge that not everybody is there yet. And um, you know, if, if we're focusing 10 times more on, on this group of people, we're still sometimes focusing on this other group of people um, who may have more privilege and more access to those kinds of modes. They might live in really transit-rich areas, for example, versus some other folks who may have income challenges and may have like mobility challenges or um, live in a transit desert and, and things like that. So the idea is that everybody's needs are different, but we're going to help everybody get to that goal because that's what everybody wants to see um, for our city, for example. Well said. You backed up you backed up your insightfulness. That was <laughs> as well. I mean, okay, it makes a lot of sense. It's, and it, it's a really cool idea as well. I love this idea of targeted universalism. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. Universal basic mobility certainly plays into that. Um, 
so we're kind of getting to the end of our time. And while I'd like to have this conversation forever, and we've already had a conversation before this, so I've talked about this a lot. I'll keep talking about it, but we have one final question for those who have listened before or watched our videos before, you know, we ask all of our, all of our, uh, participants or all of our guests, um, thinking of participants, we have a pilot going on universal basic mobility. Um, all of our guests, uh, this final question. So why will universal basic mobility help save the planet? I think the short answer is it's going to help save the planet because it already is. Um, UBM will help save the planet by um, promoting access to sustainable mobility and by making our mobility system more equitable. Um, and I think, you know, this is a, a kind of program or idea that can be replicable as well. And um, it's like personally my dream to see a universal basic mobility pilot or program launched in every city in the U.S. because um there's a lot that can be gained from this work and uh so much benefit that can be received from this kind of work as well it's only one piece of the puzzle you know it's transportation demand management ish but um it's it's a really important piece to to get people riding um buses trains scooters bike share and and everything else um that that your city provides um so yeah, uh, universal basic mobility is going to help save the planet um, because it already is. Well, you've got an ally in me. I'm sure plenty more uh, of our listeners are going to listen to this and think, how can we bring this to our cities? Uh, incredible conversation, a great program. I, uh, I, lo I love asking that final question. I feel like if you watched closely, you'd see like a wry smile on my face after I ask it because it's always like a little bit of a stumper, but uh, this one, yeah, it's true. It already is saving the planet. I um, I really like this program. Quinn, I mean, thanks again for for doing this, first of all, and then thanks for coming on and, and talking to everyone. I, I, like, I agree with you. I want to see this everywhere. I hope our listeners will feel the same way and I'll reach out to you and you'll get an influx of uh, emails from, from people saying, how do I do this where I live? Uh, but thanks again for being on. This was a great conversation. Of course. It's my pleasure, Andy. And thanks for being a great host and asking such good questions. Uh, that's, that's what I do. That, that's the, the, my one job. I get to figure out how to ask cool questions and you get to do the fun part and tell us, uh, tell us all the interesting information. I just, I just asked some questions. So it was, it was great having you on. To everyone listening, thanks again for joining us. Uh, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that at betweenthelines.io. Uh, and you'll get an email every time we have a new episode. And that's important because you can then follow on uh, with the conversation. We'll usually put in some additional resources of where you can learn more um, and just, you know, check out what's going on in the space. Uh, and if you haven't yet, I, I say this every, every week, but make sure you check out the video as well on YouTube. Uh, it's also now up on Spotify. You can watch it on your phone. I did it the other week. It was pretty interesting. Um, it's the future podcasts are now videos as well. So um, you'll definitely want to check it out. You can see like my hairstyles changing over time, um, if that's interesting to you. And uh, yeah, make sure you tune in again in a couple weeks for our next episode. Um, but thanks for joining. And thanks again, Quinn. It was great. Thanks, Andy. Bye, everyone. All right. We'll see everyone next time.
Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Be sure to subscribe to hear next week's episode and check out our exclusive commuter playlists on Spotify.